Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. A very good morning to you, and you're welcome to today's Signpost webinar. I hope you're keeping safe and well wherever you're joining us from today. My name is Mark Gibson, and I am uh, head of the Chagask Outreach and Innovation Programme, and we're joined by Pat Murphy, who is head of the Chagask Environment Knowledge Transfer Programme, who's going to help us with questions afterwards. But before we introduce our guests, uh, to remind you that this series is brought to you by Chagask in collaboration with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, the National Rural Network, and Food Drink Ireland Skillnet. So slurry application is a key component of effective nutrient management planning on, across farms in Ireland. And however, it requires careful management to ensure it is applied in the right place and at the right time so as to avoid losses to the environment. So today we'll be discussing how we can best manage the risk of phosphorus loss from slurry application uh, in a Northern Ireland context. And I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Dunica Doody, who is leader of the Catchment Science Programme in the Agri-Food and Bioscience Institute of Northern Ireland, also known as AFBI, and Dr. Russell Adams, who is Catchment Modeler and Senior Scientific Officer with AFBI. Good morning, gentlemen. You're very welcome to the Signpost webinar. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Morning, Mark. Great. And you're joining us from Belfast this morning. Is that right? That's correct. Belfast. Great, great. So, uh, Donica, you're not a stranger to the work we do in, in Chagas, nor are you, Russell. You're, you're, you've both uh, been keeping close tabs on, on what we're doing here in, in uh, the South. Um, maybe, Donica, if I could start with you and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the work that you're doing with AFPI. Yeah, so I suppose my connection with Chagas goes a, a long way back, Mark, and, and I did my PhD in, in Johnstown Castle back in, in, in 2000, 2004. Um, and I also worked um, with uh, with Chagas on the Loch Melvin project. So I worked with, would have worked with Owen Carton and, and Hubert Tunney and those people back in in those days. So I have a long kind of track record um, with um, with uh, uh, Chagas. Um, I suppose I joined AFP in two thousand seven, and I've uh, kind of been working there since then. Currently, I'm, I'm as you've said, I've, I head up the catchment research program, um, and that kind of is responsible for all of the. Um, evidence based around a nitrate action program or nutrient action program, phosphorus and nitrogen, and and also we do work around pesticides and carbon and so forth. Currently, I'm also the head of the agri um, the agri environment branch on an acting basis at this stage, and that branch that covers air quality, water quality, and soil quality, and also agri technology um, are the things that we we cover. Um, I suppose my own expertise has always been core expertise around phosphorus, but. Um, I've, I've also do a good bit of work around kind of socioeconomic things related to the environment um, and also uh, pesticides and carbon is something that we're we're also looking at heavily. So that's kind of broadly where I am at, uh, at the moment. Okay, so you've got a wide, wide brief by the sounds of things there. Moment, yeah. And Russell, your your uh, your your focus is the modeling side, how, how we can try and, I suppose, forecast some of the, the behaviours at a landscape level. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's a reasonable um, description, Mark. I mean, my connection with Chagas also goes back to um, a few years now working with Eric Melander and his group in particular in um, looking at the ACP CAP program. And the, the primary aim here is to look at some um, catchment modeling of these, these areas and to see how we can better predict um, nutrient losses and improve our understanding of how these catchments function. So I've had some strong links with them. Um, with groups in Ireland looking at catchment modeling in particular. So I'm looking forward to continuing those links into the future. Great, great. 
Well, we're looking forward to you. So you, you're going to give us a shared presentation this morning. I think, Donica, you're going to kick things off. Um, so if you could uh, share your screen with us. Yeah. So we'll hand over to you, Donica. That's great. Uh, thank you, Mark. And listen, thanks again for the invite to, to present here today. Um, it's always uh, it's, it's great to be able to get our um, present our work out over uh, such a wide audience. Um, First, I just want to start out by kind of acknowledging the, the co-authors on, on this piece of work or the, co the team involved in this piece of work. Um, Russell has already um, introduced himself there. Um, Anya Anderson is also heavily involved with a PhD student from, from Queens. Um, we've also uh, been working with Pete Fadez from the, from the USDA um, ARS in, in, in America, who was the person who created the model that we will talk about today. And also then um, Owen Fenton and Pat Tuhi, um, in terms of they, they provided data and also in, helped in with the interpretation of some of the results. So um, uh, it's been a team effort in development of some of this work. Um, so today uh, I want to talk about, you've already highlighted that we're talking about the risk of phosphorus loss from slurry applications. And this is a project um, that was funded through the DARA, the Department of Agriculture Evidence and Innovation Project, uh, the, sorry, Evidence and Innovation Funding Stream. Um, and it was a project to look at the effectiveness of the nitrous action program in terms of slurry regulations, um, and also specifically around the close period. Um, and I suppose slurry isn't a, um, a slurry and PLOS at water isn't just an issue for, for Northern Ireland. It's a, it's a widespread issue across the island, across the UK and across Europe. Um, and it's something that we're constantly trying to improve our management um, around that slurry. And in Northern Ireland, you know, we we have made improvements. If you if you look at the top um, the top graph here, labelled A, and this is our national farm gate P balance, um, which we which we uh, which we produce every year. Um, and if you look back at the uh, the early nineteen nineties, you know, we had a a farm gate we had a farm surplus nationally of twenty kilograms of P per hectare, um, which was very very high. So there was twenty kilograms of P more going into the system that was than was required. Um, but we've made significant improvements over time, um, you know, due to the, the great actions of, of farmers, improvements in science, improvement in advisory services, and also an, an increase in the fertilizer prices. We have reduced the pea surplus um, and the pea surpluses in 2008 came right down to, to eight kilograms of pea per hectare. But unfortunately, from that point, we've seen this, this constant rise again in our, in our pea surplus, right up to 12 kilograms of pea per hectare. Now, this graph stops at 2018, but you know, we're roughly still around there. We're at, at about 12 or 13 kilograms of pea per hectare. And this increase has been largely driven by, um, by an increase in, in feed concentrate um, uh, to cattle and a reduction in the, in, in the utilization of grass and an increase in feed concentrate into the system. And that has had, you know, the, the, the changes in water quality have mirrored those changes in the farm gate um, P balance. Um, this graph is, the, the graph B here is slightly truncated, but it does show that there's been an increase in our, or sorry, an improvement in our water quality um, um, over the years. And we've seen a, a constant improvement in our water quality since 1990 in terms of our, the P concentration. And just to explain uh, for, the, for those who may not be aware what SRP is, SRP is a soluble reactive phosphorus um, in the water. So it's just one form of phosphorus. Um, and we've seen a, a reduction in our SRP right up to about 2008, 2009. But then we started seeing an increase again um, in our SRP concentrations. Um, and they continue to increase. So that's a, a, a concern for us. Um, in 2017, we, we estimate that nine, uh, 940 tons of phosphorus was lost from agriculture into water. Just to put that into perspective, um, we, we estimate in total input from all um, 
from all uh, sectors is about 1,500 tons uh, into water. So a significant portion is, is, coming from, um, is coming from agriculture. And as a result, a significant proportion of our water bodies are impacted on by, um, by water quality. Um, sorry, impacted on by phosphorus and are below the status required for the, for the Water Framework Directive. And just to clarify here, you, despite Brexit, we are still adhering to the Water Framework Directive um, and continue to, to, uh, to release the, the, the reports. In fact, the latest round of assessments um, is coming out on, uh, in, in early December. This data I'm presenting here is actually dated, um, for, it's 2018, but the next round isn't quite available yet. But um, So it'll be interesting to see, do we see an improvement in terms of the, um, the, the status of our water bodies um, in Northern Ireland? So just to st st start off, this particular graph, I don't expect you to see all the detail on this, but this is a, a graph of the uh, substance flow analysis of phosphorus in the whole of the Northern Ireland food system. We very often, we talk about phosphorus um, for just within agriculture, but there's phosphorus throughout the whole food system. And what we try to do with this um, it, through a project called Refocus, um, which is a collaboration with, with Lancaster and, and Leeds University and, and others. And we try to, to, to map the stocks and flows of phosphorus um, throughout the whole of the Northern Irish food system. And this, this particular um, graph just shows you the complexity um, of the system that we're working with. Um, the, there's four main systems here. You have the animal husbandry side, the livestock side, and the, the soil and crop side on the right-hand side. And then you have the waste management and the, and the water um, the water management, uh, water uh, treatment side. And what this does is shows how, how phosphorus um, is moving from each of those sectors. Um, and it's a, very, it's a very useful tool that actually, because what it's allowed us to do is look at different scenarios um, for the sustainable phosphorus management in Northern Ireland. And that's something I'll come back to at the end of the um, presentation when we look at one particular scenario we, we looked at in achieving targets of the Water Framework Directive. Um, but if we zoom in here into the agricultural system, so this is the top half of the, um, of the, the graph, you can see the, uh, the, again, you can see kind of increased um, uh, focus there on the agricultural system and some key figures are coming out there. Um, if you look on the left-hand side of that, you see that the inputs um, coming in, we have 11,700 tonnes of phosphorus coming in and animal feed. And we have about 4,500 tonnes coming in um, in fertiliser. Um, and that, the majority of that is going into the, uh, all of that's going into the agricultural system. And from that, we're having about 20,500 tons of phosphorus moving from animals um, to the crop and the, the soil. Now, th that's either deposited by the animal themselves or it's, um, it is, um, it's applied as slurry. And of that 20,000 tons, 15,000 is, is going back, um, to the, uh, back into the animal via silage, grass and so forth. The key figure here I want to get to is this figure here in the crop and the the grass um, the the grass component here on the um, in this this point here is that if you look at this figure here there's seven thousand three hundred tons of phosphorus accumulating in our soils in two thousand seventeen and two thousand uh, two thousand seventeen was a normal enough year so we can presume that it's uh, roughly that amount is accumulating in our soils every year um, and that's not just coming from from agriculture um, sorry from slurry it's coming from fertilizer chemical fertilizer but also biosolids um, as well but the majority is coming from the manures that are in the system if you there's more information on that there's a paper there um, referenced at the top and there's also more information on the refocus website there so what does that look at, look like when you kind of spatially distribute it across northern ireland 
Well, this is work that, where we just looked at the, the P load um, uh, based on a kilograms of, uh, kilograms per hectare per year at a townland level. And the red and the orange areas are the ones that are you have real excesses of phosphorus um, in those townlands. Um, and that translates into a um, uh, uh, to a high percentage of our soils being above the agronomic optimum. Now, just to, to clarify here, um, you know, we use Olson P, Olson soil P to measure our soil, while down south you're using um, Morgan's P. So it's a little bit different um, in terms of the index system that we use. Um, so when we are looking for an agronomic optimum, we're looking at um, index two plus or index two minus, depending on what farming system you're in. But anything here from index three, four, and five is above what's required for um, for, for for agriculture. And you can see from that 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 um, that map from of, of Northern Ireland, and this map was produced through a a, pr a pretty large soil sampling scheme. Um, called the EAA soil sampling scheme that was carried out in 2017, 2018. And it demonstrated about 42% of our soils are above the agronomic optimum. Um, and in some sectors, it's higher than that. So it's a, it's a significant issue um, for us um, going forward. Just to stop for a moment and highlight, you know, this EAA scheme was a kind of a pilot study and there was, there was a lot of kind of science done around this as well to kind of show the effectiveness of, of you know, providing farmers with, with soil sampling and mapped, uh, you know, kind of some maps related to soil nutrient, um, nutrient status and also runoff risk. And this has led now onto the government um, announcing there last month that they will be investing a 35 million pounds into soil sampling to provide farmers with runoff risk maps, um, soil P maps, and so forth. So all 600,000 farmers will be uh, will be available will be available to all 600,000 farmers. And AFPI are, are kind of the lead organisation in that in, in terms of delivering the the soil sampling scheme and providing the maps to farmers in relation to runoff risk and so forth. So kind of watch this space because I think there's a lot more information that will come out in terms of um, soil P and how it's managed in Northern Ireland in the next few years. So what does that what does that mean in terms of achieving the targets of the water framework directive? What does the 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 excessive um, the forty two percent sorry the forty the the high percentage of soils above the agronomic optimum? What does that mean for for achieving targets of the water framework directive? Now this is a pretty complex graph, so just to, to spend a few moments on it. The, on here on the uh, the x axis, what you're looking at is the percentage of the catchment um, that is above the agronomic optimum. So that's above index two. Um, and you can see some of our some of our soils up here are you know 50 40 50 60 percent are above the agronomic optimum and some of the soils down here are you only have 10 you know 10 15 percent of the soils that are above the agronomic optimum and on the on the um the, the y-axis you've got the srp concentration again that's the phosphorus concentration and water and you can see there's a very strong relationship here between the percentage of your catchment that is above the agronomic optimum and the concentration of phosphorus in your in your river. Now I'm just looking at one particular catchment here. This is the upper band catchment. We, we do a lot of our research around um, the nitrates action program in the upper band catchment. That's led by my colleague Rachel Cassidy. Um, and in the upper band, 41% of our soils are above the agronomic optimum. Um, and to achieve the targets of water framework directive, um, we need to be hitting 40, 40 micrograms per litre. Now, just to explain, uh, maybe I should explain this earlier, in Northern Ireland, we adhere to the UK method of, of, um, of setting standards for phosphorus, which is that your phosphorus targets are variable and they, they're based on alkalinity and altitude. So our targets can range from 40 micrograms per litre right up to um, uh, right up to you know 80 90 micrograms per litre which is different than than what you have in, in Ireland where you have a standard 
um, uh, standard threshold of 35 micrograms per litre. So in the upper band, we're aiming for a, a target of 40 micrograms per litre. To achieve that, this graph would say we need to get to 15, only 15% 15 of our soils um, need to be above the agronomic optimum if we are to achieve that target. So you know that kind of puts into context, we're currently at 41%. Um, and we want to get down to um, less than 15% of our soils. And, you know, there's a lot of research done around that issue around legacy P and that drawdown of legacy P and work that we've done in AFPI would suggest just on a grazing system um, where the only uh, way where, where you're the only phosphorus going into the system is from the grazing animal. Um, it would take possibly 10 to 15 years for that phosphorus um, to be drawn down to a level that is um, that is at index two. So now, obviously, it depends on soil type and depends on the starting index. But it is quite a long period of time to draw that uh, draw those soils down to a level that's um, that's sustainable in terms of uh, being at index two. So that's a big challenge when you have a, uh, when you're applying slurry to these soils. It's a big challenge. Where do you put that slurry if you can't apply it to these soils? So just moving on to the the the, the nitrates action program or the nutrient action program because it, our nutrient action program covers both phosphorus and nitrogen, um, and it's very similar to your own in in Ireland. We we have slight changes in the regulations. For example, our close period um, is one one one. Uh, it's the same across the whole of the the province, and it goes from fifteenth of October to thirty first of January. And there's no applications of slurry on waterlogged soils or frozen soils. Now, just to say you know, about waterlogged soils, that's a difficult one because really at the moment, what what's being suggested is that you use a squishy boot test. If you if you put pressure on the soil and water ponds to the surface, um, then it's not it's not suitable to slurry application. Um, heavy rainfall is, is 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 predicted at four millimeters per hour within 48 hours of, of an application. Um, and steep slopes are uh, 20, uh, greater than 20%. There's obviously a setback distances and we have a limit on application rates of 50 cubic meters per hectare. So that's the kind of the, the regulations, but we all know the farmers have a, far, a lot more considerations to take into account if they're going out to spread slurry. They need to think about um, the, slur the storage capacity they have left and what is going to be the next opportunity to spread slurry um, and how can they get maximum nutrient efficiency out of it. And there's also, animal welfare issues and trafficability issues around soil. You know, if you go out at the wrong time, you, you cause compaction and, and cause damage to your soil. Um, and also a big issue for many farms in Northern Ireland, and I'm sure it's the same in, 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 in Ireland, is that the uh, con contractor availability, a lot of our smaller farmers are using co contractors, so there's a waiting um, time to get those contractors. Um, and also then how do you time all these activities around other farm activities? So it's quite a, quite a, a logistically challenging uh, process. But on top of that, in Northern Ireland, not only is it a logistically challenging process, but it's also quite inherently risky when you look at the, um, you, you look at the, the, the soil and rainfall characteristics that farmers are working on. So this particular graph here is the, um, shows the runoff risk of all of the soils in Northern Ireland. And this is based on the, the UK hydrolo hydrology of soil types classification. And it shows that 58% of our soils are high risk for runoff. And that's all those red areas there. And then a further 31% of our soils, which are the yellow areas, are medium risk for runoff. So you can, you can appreciate the, the challenges there are for farmers in identifying spatially where slurry can be spread in, these, uh, in that sort of environment, as well as that spatial risk. Um, there's also a temporal risk. Now, I just want to spend a few moments to explain this graph here because it's kind of important for the, the remainder of the um, of the presentation. Um, this graph shows soil moisture deficit. 
Um, and soil moisture deficit is an indicator of soil moisture content of the soil. If you're at zero millimeters soil moisture deficit, you're at field capacity. Um, and, but if you go to minus 10, um, 10 millimeters soil moisture deficit, your, um, your soil is fully saturated. So zero to 10, your soil is getting, zero, sorry, zero to minus 10, your soil is getting wetter and wetter. Um, anything above zero, plus one, plus two, up plus 20, um, is getting, your soil is getting drier and drier. Now, ideally what you want is you want for, for slurry spreading, um, you want it at around, around zero to five millimeters soil moisture deficit at, at, at its, uh, you know, that would be the, the optimum threshold. Now, ideally for trafficability, um, you'd want it around five millimeters soil moisture deficit to avoid compaction and, and assure you're not damaging the soil. But at the moment, farmers can legitimately in Northern Ireland apply slurry um, between zero and minus 10 soil moisture deficit. So what, what does it mean in terms of the risk um, for slurry spreading? So if we're looking at a threshold, if we're saying that the threshold is zero millimeters uh, soil moisture deficit, what this graph is showing is a 10-year data set, an um, a 10-year data set of every month of the, of the year. And it's showing the percentage number of days um, where uh, the conditions of the soil were suitable for slurry spreading. Now, this is one particular site in Northern Ireland. It's our own research farm. Um, however, the soil type here will be pretty representative um, of a large, um, large part of Northern Ireland. So, so what it's saying to us is that on, if you look here at January, um, you can see in January only 3% of days is, a, is slurry spreading conditions, conditions suitable for slurry spreading. And you can see the same here in December and November is quite low and also in February. However, in, in, in June and July, you have 93% of your days are above um, zero millimeters soil moisture deficit, therefore are suitable for slurry spreading. For me, the interesting thing on this graph is this variability. You can see this, that's the maximum. So this is a 10 year data set. So this is the maximum value, this is the minimum value. So sometimes in, at least in one year, um, in July, um, we had only 10% or slightly more than 10% of our soils at a site was suitable for slurry spreading. Um, while in, in November, sometime we had up to, on this site, we had 90% of the days in, in November were suitable for slurry spreading. So there's huge variability in the soil moisture deficit um, very, uh, in, in, at this site. And that kind of highlights the challenge there is for farmers in, in predicting on any particular year um, what uh, is the soil um, suitable for slurry spreading or not um, when they go out to, to, to spread slurry. Okay, so it's very difficult. It's a, it's a very challenging process to demonstrate the effectiveness of some of these regulations around, you know, around the nutrient action program, but in particular around slurry spreading. How do you demonstrate that, you know, the large investment that, that the industry has made in slurry tank, in slurry and storage, the the and the efforts the farmers are going to in terms of re, you know, applying slurry at the right time, right place. Um, you know, how effective or what impact is that that is having? So what we've done is we have used a model called surface um, and using that model, we've tried to look at that question around um, is the, the nitrates action program regulations having an impact in terms of reducing losses of, of slurry? Now, Russell is the person who's been running this um, model. So I'm going to hand over to Russell just to give it a bit of an explanation because it does, uh, understanding what the model is saying is very important in terms of how you interpret some of the graphs we're going to show you in a few moments. Okay, Russell, over to you. Thanks, Dominica. Um, this first slide explains using a series of boxes how the model works in terms of the flow of information. And the model itself is a black box model that simulates um, phosphorus losses in um, overland flow. And it was developed in the USDA AOS in America by Pete 
about us who's a collaborator on this project. And I'd also like to acknowledge the fact that um, Owen Fenton and Pat Tui from Chagoscap have been working with me on a paper which is on the review for the Hydrological Sciences Journal. So hopefully that will be coming out soon. So the model takes the input data, which some of which is done as already described, which would be rainfall runoff and temperature from various sites in Ireland. And then it takes some information, data files on timings, phosphorus content and the applications of soil themselves and how they are applied to the soil. And then it goes ahead and simulates the export of SRP and other species of phosphorus, which I'll not go into. So then on the next slide, please, Annika. Coming back again, so, so working through the, um, the sequence of information here using a, a flowchart diagram. So me being a former computer science O-level student, I, I like my flowcharts. So uh, coming on the top left here, we have the climate data, which is fed into the model. So that's four years of rainfall and runoff data from a plot. For example, the after the experimental farm site. We have so much data on the top right, which Donna has already discussed with the zero um, millimeters being the important threshold value. So the model is then set up in such a way that it simulates applications of slurry on each day of the year, starting on the 1st of May. So these are 365 separate simulations for each scenario. So the flowchart is such that the model will have to evaluate under those scenario rules if the soil moisture deficit and the antecedent rainfall allows slurry to be spread on that day. And if it is spread, then the slurry will be applied in the model, and then the model will simulate four years of, of um, applications on that day. Um, and then it will calculate the mean SRP loss in overland flow for that particular scenario for each day. If the conditions do not allow slurry to be spread on those days under that scenario, then there'll be no application of slurry made on that day at all. So therefore there'll be no model run. But obviously the scenarios vary. So in the next slide, we'll, we'll look at um, two, the two main scenarios that we'll be discussing in more detail. Next slide, please. So the, the key findings of the, the two scenarios that we're looking at is that under no restrictions, which is basically slurry is allowed to be spread on each day of the year. This is the black line and this shows on a particular day. So if you take the first of May, which is on the far left side of the, the graph, you'll be getting an, on average an export of 0 0.06 kilograms per hectare of phosphorus a year exported from our field. If we apply the restrictions such as the NAP restrictions, which reduce um, the loading because spreading is restricted on certain days of the year due to the climate, you'll see particularly during the close period that um, the, the export of phosphorus decreases quite significantly because of the restrictions. And in fact, during the open period, which is the one we should really be looking at because that's when currently applications are allowed, there's a 24 reduction in phosphorus losses under those restrictions. If the phosphorus was allowed to be spread in slowly during the close period, then the losses are far higher than in the open period, as you can see by the the black line going up to 0.35 um, kilograms hectare of P. So, and the red line they're doing that close period between mid-October and February also shows that even under that regulations there are still significant losses up to about 0.25 kilograms hectare of P. And importantly, that's that's from a field, that's at the field scale. So that's what's been predicted by the model to be coming off the field and into the water courses. And obviously what happens downstream in the water courses is not simulated, but that's also of interest to the regulators. And I'll, Pass it back to Donica there. Okay, thank you, Russell. Um, so I think just to reiterate what Russell said there, you know, the, the, the nitrates nutrient nitrates action program or nutrients action program in Northern Ireland is having an impact in terms of um, improving um, improving losses 
um, of phosphorus to waters. And um, particularly in the open period, you're seeing improvements. However, we are still seeing significant losses. Um, and because of that, I think we need to consider and look at what options, other options are available. So we do need to look at additional mitigation measures um, to address um, the issues around um, trying to reduce slurry loss um, even further um, in Northern Ireland. And there's a number of different ways we can look at this. The, firstly, the, the, the key thing we need to consider here is right time, right place. Um, and that's something that farmers are already trying to do. But to, to achieve that properly, I think we need to look at access to higher resolution soil and water, sorry, soil and weather data for farmers. We also need to consider the peak content of our slurry and try to reduce the peak content of our slurry as, as much as possible and within the confines of, of, of animal health. But we do need to reduce the, um, the, the peak content of our, of our slurries by reducing the pea input to the system. Um, we also um, need to reduce the, um, the application rates if possible and look at how we can uh, use lower application rates in maybe higher risk areas. And also we need to consider um, uh, the changes to the close period and whether that would have an impact. So these are, these are sort of scenarios we looked at with this, uh, with this model. Um, okay, so firstly, um, right time, right place. So looking at the, the, the modeling, um, the model can be looked at um, comparing how phosphorus loss from a poorly drained soil compared to phosphorus loss from a moderately drained soil or a well-drained soil. And if you can target applications at a moderately drained soil, um, instead of a poorly drained soil, you get 42% less P loss um, on any particular day. So that's a quite a, a significant reduction. Um, if you can do, um, if you can reduce, sorry, if you can target it at well-drained soils, you're going to get an 87% reduction. So just highlights the importance of targeting at those, those well-drained soils. Also, if we can limit the applications um, to times where soil moisture deficit is, 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 is above zero, so it's at plus five, plus 10, um, and it's particularly in the open period, we will see a, a further 44% reduction um, in SRP. So it's really important that we get this sort of information out to farmers in terms of soil moisture deficit, rainfall, high resolution um, data around rainfall and soil moisture deficit. One of the approaches that we're taking in Northern Ireland, um, and this is a graph from the EAA scheme that I, I mentioned some time ago, where in the upper band catchment, we provided 400 farmers with, um, with runoff risk maps, as well as um, soil P maps, um, uh, nutrient maps for all, and also pH maps and so forth. Um, and these runoff risk maps, um, just to explain them in a little bit more detail, and they show a couple of things. The red and yellow areas combined show those areas within this farm's landscape that are high risk for runoff. Um, and those are the areas that a farmer needs to avoid um, if he or she is going out to spread slurry um, on any particular day. And the areas that are in red here alone are those areas that are high risk for runoff, but already have a high soil, uh, soil pea content, so above the ag agronomic optimum. So you'd want a farmer to, to avoid spreading um, fertilizer or slurry in those areas to try and draw down that uh, pea content of the um, pea content in those, those areas in the soil. Also in this map, it gives a farmer a lot of good information. You see the all the purple lines, which is which are the ditches and the small streams that uh, that go through our farms, and those dots, which are the blue dots in the uh, on the map there. Those are the the points where those runoff risk areas enter into a, a stream and they um, into a stream or, or a ditch. And those are sort of areas where you would want to target some sort of nature-based solution, such as riparian zones, willow willow um, uh, buffer strips. Um, 
wetlands and, and so forth, the ditch retention uh, ditches and so forth. So there's a lot of things you could kind of target in the landscape to try and manage any runoff from, that's coming from those areas. So the ambition in Northern Ireland is, is to supply these sort of maps to the 600,000 farmers, uh, sorry, for 600,000 fields, sorry, not farmers, obviously, and 600,000 fields across Northern Ireland. And that's going to be done through the Soil Nutrient Health Scheme, um, which is being which was just announced there by the minister. Um, and that's a huge task for, for us to do. That will be over four years that we're hoping to go through that. It's a voluntary scheme, but hopefully the farmers will see the value in coming in and getting the soils tested, getting these sort of runoff risk maps and, and using these going in the future. Because what we have seen is, you know, of those 400, um, 400 farmers, we did a survey in terms of behavioral change. And we did this with in conjunction with Leeds University, our collaborators in Leeds University. And we looked at, you know, how did these, this, this sort of information around maps that we're providing farmers help change their behavior in terms of nutrient management. And one of the things that, that they, the, the responses showed us that 90% of farmers were still using these runoff risk maps in terms of helping them to manage their, their slurry and ensuring they weren't losing any slurry to the uh, to water courses. So that was a very positive result. So the other element um, is, is you know, how do we lower the, the phosphorus content of our slurry? There was a lot of research done around the fact that if you have a lower pea diet, you have a lower pea content in, in your slurry. And you know, if you think back to the earlier slides, I, I highlighted that there's an increase in the pea content, sorry, an increase in, in, in feed concentrate use on farms in Northern Ireland. Um, currently, the pea content of our feed is somewhere around 0.5%. Um, and we need to get that down. We need to get it lower so that we can um, so we can reduce the pea content in the, in the slurry. But what the modeling showed us was that if we can reduce the pea content in the slurry, then you reduce what's lost in, 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 uh, to water. Um, and it was very similar. You know, if you reduce it by 10, 10%, um, then you get a, roughly a 10% uh, reduction in loss. Same if you reduce the pea content of your slurry by 30%, you get a roughly a 29% a um, reduction in, in what you lose. So that's a very positive. That's a, a mitigation measure that we could take forward if we, if we can do that. And that's something I'll come back to later in the, in the next few slides. Application rate is also something we need to consider carefully because in Northern Ireland, we have one of the things we've done for February, because February is still a risky month for slurry application, is we've reduced our um, application rate limits to 30 um, cubic metres per hectare. Um, for the rest of the year, it's 50 cubic metres per hectare. But if, you, if, if we're applying it a, you know, through the modelling, um, we, was, we can see that if you're applying at 50 cubic metres per hectare, you're losing roughly 0.7 kilograms per hectare per year. Um, on it from any application and, um, in, uh, in a particular day. If you can reduce your application rate to 30 cubic meters per factor, you get a 53% reduction, um, which is quite a significant reduction in loss. Um, and if you can reduce your, uh, your application rate even further down to 10 cubic meters per hectare, then you lose, your, your losses are, are reduced down by 80%. So you know, the, the key thing here is that if we can use application rates to our, um, and you know, use those uh, differentiated application rates depending on where we're spreading slurry in, in, the, in the landscape, if we're spreading slurry in a high-risk area, reduce the application rate so that we have a, a lower risk of, of losses. So um, I'm going to bring up this graph already. Russell has, has presented this graph. And you know, I suppose we, we need to consider um, the uh, issues around extending the closed period, but also shortening the closed period, which is also um, something that, 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 that can be considered. Um, if we, uh, and we did this, we looked at this for, um, using a model, and we looked at, extending the close period. So currently the close period goes from the 15th of October to the 31st of January. Um, and 
that that means if we during the open period, which is the periods that where farmers are allowed to spread slurry, um, if we uh, we would be getting 0.065 kilograms per hectare loss. If we extend the close period to 1st of October to 29th of February, um, we would get a 14% decrease in the amount of slurry we're losing during the open period. Now, I think this has to be put into context because we are, the model would suggest we're getting 14% um, reduction in losses if we extend the close period. However, it does not take into account the fact that there's going to be more storage, there's going to be more slurry um, being stored during that period, and that means there's going to be an increase in slurry application during the open period, um, and that brings with it its own risks. On the other side, we can look at uh, shortening the close period, you know, could we have less storage and, and have, have options for spreading slurry during, the, um, during January? Um, in this case, we looked at, uh, specifically at January um, and going from 15th of October to the 31st of December. And what we found here was that there was a, a, a 4.5% 4, 4 increase in the amount of uh, P that was lost. Now, again, that needs to be taken into context of that. If you think back to one of my earlier graphs, only 3% of days um, were available for slurry spreading um, in, in January. So the key thing in, in achieving that um, it, keeping slurry losses in January to a minimum and keeping it down to only 5% increase will be targeting those days that are suitable for slurry spreading. And that's the big challenge here, is that identifying those, those days in January that will be suitable for slurry spreading based on so much deficit and based on rainfall. Okay, so um, gone through a, a number of different mitigation measures um, there, but the, the key question for us in Northern Ireland going forward is that we do have a significant surplus of slurry within our system and the surplus of phosphorus um, in particular within our within the food system. So even if we implement those, those mitigation measures um, that, that have just worked through there, we still have a significant amount of slurry being applied in our soils in an inherently risky environment. So how can we address that at a, at a, at a national level? So to look at those scenarios, we use that SFA model, that big complex model um, I, I, I presented there earlier. Um, we used that, um, that model to look at different scenarios. And one of the scenarios we looked at was, well, if we, if we want to achieve a target of 35 micrograms per litre, um, what changes would have to occur in the system? Now, just to, be, to clear here again, we chose 35 micrograms per litre as a, as a generic target because the model wasn't able to, to deal with um, kind of the variable targets that we have in Northern Ireland. So we just chose one. And, and it's, it's fairly representative. It's, well, it's fairly average for if you average across all of the river basins in, in Northern Ireland. Um, so it's, a, it's not exactly correct, but it's a good estimation of where we need to be. Now, to achieve that, um, that target of th 35 microns per litre, we would need to get to a surplus of roughly 1.6, 1.5 kilograms of P um, surplus in Northern Ireland. And how would we get there? Well, again, these are only, these are only one scenario, okay? one example of a scenario of how we could possibly get there. Um, one or, there's three steps that could be taken. We could um, reduce the fertiliser import and reduce the use of P by 75%. We could reduce the animal feed um, peak concentrate down to 0.35%, um, and we could uh, export about 20% of our manure pea out of the system. Now, just to kind of consider those three in, in a little bit more detail, 75% um, reduction in fertilizer use looks to be a big, uh, big reduction, and it is a big reduction, but I think if you put it into the context that 42% of our soils already have too much fertilizer, uh, sorry, already have too much pea going into them, um, and already above the agronomic optimum, then in those soils, we don't need to be using fertilizer. And some farmers are still using fertilizer in those soils. 
Um, also, I mean, we sorry to interrupt. We, we've about one minute left here just to, to uh, allow for time for questions afterwards. Yeah, no problem. I'm coming to the end now. Just one more slide after this. And then the second thing is the animal feed concentrate. Now, the, the, this is an option in reducing the animal and the industry has made efforts to reduce the peat content of the feed. However, if we, if we try to get it down to 0.35, there is an economic cost there um, in terms of the cost of feed to farmers. So that needs to be factored in. And also, this is where we're really focusing our efforts at the moment is um, uh, export, you know, processing our manures, valorizing our manures, you know, through AD, through extraction of the nutrients, through production of energy and getting that energy into the, into the gases, into the, um, into the system. Um, so that's where we're really making our efforts at the moment is around that, um, that, that um, nutrient processing. So listen, all those scenarios there that we, um, that, I've, that are, that's one scenario, but there's other scenarios that you can look at the report there um, I've re referenced um, on the AFPI website that goes through the whole of the refocus project and the, the scenarios that we did um, in terms of sustainable fossil management in, in Northern Ireland. So finally, just take home messages. So this is my last slide. Um, the, the reality is in Northern Ireland, slurry spreading is an inherently risky practice. And, and, but the, and even under best, um, best management practices, we are still losing um, slurry, uh, fossils lost to water. Um, the NAP regulations, and there's no doubt the NAP regulations are making a difference, but it is very much dependent on right time, right place. And to do that, farmers need access to high resolution data and soil moisture data. Because even, even on the best practices, we only need to lose 5% of our P to water, and it's still causing a problem with, uh, with uh, water quality. And so it's a very small amount that we're actually losing. Um, and finally, which I've just highlighted here, we have more P in the system than is required for agronomic purposes. So we need to address that issue. So uh, thank you, and I'm happy to take any questions. Great, thanks, Tonica and uh, Russell. Uh, excellent presentation. and. I know you, you, you spoke to, talked us through some of those graphs very, very well, because uh, I know uh, it's sometimes hard to get your head around some of these things, when we're, especially in a, early on a Friday morning. Um, you, you presented there a fairly stark reality there uh, based on the modeling that you've done in relation to that surplus of, of phosphorus. Um, and you talked about a 75% uh, reduction uh, in um, fertilizer P required uh, to, to bring it down. Uh, it, it, do you think that that's going to be sustainable in terms of venerable production or you're, you're saying that this figure is sufficient for, the, for, for uh, food production in Northern Ireland? Um, no, in, within this presentation, no, we're not saying that that figure is um, is sufficient because there's further research to do around how how long can we can you know on what particular farm systems can we reduce fertilizer use and remain sustainable? Because um, I think in some farm systems, you know, we're finding in some of our lower intensity farming systems, farmers are using too much fertilizer, um, and that you know they could potentially be productive at in index minus two or even at index one at some stage in, in our particular soils and so it's about trying to identify the farms in um, in northern ireland that can reduce their fertilizer input um, but the reality is we have a huge amount of uh, nutrients available within our slurry that's not been utilized mm. um, and the priority should be utilizing that slurry to, to keep our production um, optimizing our production and maximizing what we're getting out of the system. And also we have a huge amount of our soils that are above the agronomic optimum that don't need any fertilizer. So reducing pea fertilizer is a viable option, um, but it needs to be done correctly and based on soil testing. I imagine uh, there'll be a fairly significant advisory effort needed there to support that change. Yeah, that, that's that's 100%. And one of the things, you know, that, that soil nutrient health scheme that 
that I, ha- that I mentioned um, earlier, the £35 million scheme that the, the government have just announced. Um, AFP is leading the, the delivery of that scheme in terms of the, the, soil, the, the soil analysis and the, the development of runoff risk maps. But beside that, we have our, our colleagues in CAFRI, um, who are advisory services in Northern Ireland, and they're doing a, a big training programme around nutrient management and how, they, how those maps need to be used and how they need to improve. So 100% that, that's part of that overall package that the government is trying to provide to farmers. We have a, a huge number of people joining us here today, uh, so I, I think we'll skip straight to the questions, uh, including uh, the, the probably the, one of the godfathers of this science in Ireland, uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Owen Carton is, is joining us today, and I see Phil Jordan has a question in as well, so welcome to, to, to both Phil and Owen. Um, Pat, uh, do you want to kick off the questions? Yeah, there? I, I suppose one of the, the, the themes that's coming through in a number of questions is the consideration of, of nitrogen, and particularly in relation to the uh, risk profile you, you are using. Do you not need to add the nitrogen element to it, or is nitrogen not a particular problem in terms of nitrate loss to water? Okay, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a fair question. Nitrate isn't a big issue in our fresh waters. Um, we don't have a big, and in groundwater as well, we don't have a significant issue with nitrates. Um, and so it's, it for, it, but it is an issue for us in terms of um, our coastal, uh, coastal uh, water bodies. Um, so we do need to, the model isn't set up to do that, um, but we do need to consider that in terms of how we manage our, our, our slurry. Um, and Russell is, you know, is, is working on a project at the moment looking at you know, what models can we use, what other models are out there in terms of modeling all nutrients and not just phosphorus. So it's an answer, but it's not an issue for us in freshwater. Groundwater really isn't an issue. It's really just the, the coastal areas um, that we're seeing uh, the issues around nitrates. A uh, question, or uh, there was a comment that uh, with the price of fertilizer in the next year that uh, you might resolve some of the fertilizer issues. There might be a, an opportune time to get that messaging out that a lot of farmers don't need to, to, to spend on a very expensive product for next year. So I think take that as a as a comment more than a, yeah. a, 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 a question. A good point. Um, but it does underline the point, Pat, about the economic aspect of this. This is an economic loss to the system, really, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, that's, and I just wonder, is that something that you've looked at, the, actually putting a cost on this? Yeah, um, well, we, we are working with our economic colleagues and, and our co- colleagues, Aaron Sherry, and are uh, developing up a farm optimization model to look at, you know, if we reduce soil P to different levels, um, what is the economic cost to, to agriculture? And also if we reduce the, P, the feed P inputs and the fertilizer inputs, how does that change the economic or far, economics of farms? That's been do, done through Refocus Project, has also been applied in the Catchment Care Project, and we'll be applying it for Nitrates Action Program. Yes, yeah, so 100%, the, the economics of this is really, really important. Um, and we there has been some work done on it on a kind of macro scale. I'm using the, the FAPRI model, which is what we have in, in Northern Ireland. Um, but now we're looking at kind of scaling that down to farm scale also. The question there from Jenny Deacon uh, in relation to the focus seems to be very much on source control. Are there any moves in Northern Ireland to look at measures for other parts of the nutrient uh, transport continuum and, for example, pathway in, in, interception? Yeah, yeah, listen, there's always, there's always thinkings around that. And there, there is obviously always thinking around. And Russell has, is, you know, is nature-based solutions is one of the things that Russell um, is, is particularly interested in around, you know, targeting of measures. And we, you know, riparian zones, the ESF scheme that we, you know, the, the environmental farming scheme that we have, you know, it's encouraging farmers to take up riparian zones. 
Um, and we do look at, um, at uh, different options, for example, you know, uh, willow buffer strips is something that we have kind of invested heavily in and kind of showing the effectiveness of those. So it is something that, um, that uh, needs to be taken in as a, the, the overall toolbox for dealing with this issue. But ultimately, I think that we have to have some sort of source control. There has to be some sort of source control because if not, then those those um, pathway controls just become saturated with P, and you're, mm -hmm. you may be just shifting the problem further down the chain. So I think there has to be a common combined approach. Um, it's not our huge, it's not our main focus, but it is a, a, an important focus for us as well. Okay, there, we we get a, a lot of questions on the the possibilities for uh, I suppose. Uh, removing elements of, of uh, manure out of the system and turning it into other products. Yeah. Given the level of excess that you're talking about, is there is that an, in any way a feasible op opportunity? Um, yes, it is. And a, it's something that has been very carefully considered in Northern Ireland. In fact, there was a report just went from an, uh, an expert industry group, um, including people from AFPI, just went to the minister um, advising on how we can deal with that surplus and how we can get maximum value out of that and that manure. Um, my colleague, Chris Johnson, um, who heads up our agri and technology um, section, is doing a lot of work around valorization of manure. How can, we, um, how can we get as much energy out of that manure as possible and get that onto the grid? And secondly, how can we um, how can we get um, fertilizer products out of it um, in terms of extracting the nitrogen and phosphorus? One of the key issues that we're trying to address is what scale do you do that at? Do you do it at a farm scale? Is it economically viable to do it at a farm scale? Maybe on some big farms, but or do we need cent centralized approach um, to dealing with that? And if you look at the way uh, Northern Ireland's dealt with the poultry litter issue, um, we there's been the development of one big centralized um, processing. Um, bio, uh, bio, sorry, the name eludes me at the moment, but it's one big system where they're extracting the nitrogen, the phosphorus, and and getting as much out of that poultry litter as possible. And so it, we're 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 looking at it. I would suggest it'd be worth having um, Chris Johnson on to give a bit more of a talk in relation to what we're doing and and approach we're looking at because there's lots of exciting work that's going on there. A question there is there is there any active incentive to farmers to uh... Uh, manage riparian zones or, an, or other nat uh, natural methods to try and, and uh, protect the water courses? Is there, is there anything within your schemes or within your systems to do that? Yes, yeah, so the, the environmental farming scheme, um, which um, we would, farmers would be funded to take on um, riparian zones um, and there would be, there'd be um, the uptake isn't as good as we would like. Um, it is, there is good uptake. Um, but yeah, so it's we're not um, we're not seeing the uptake that you would hope. But it is something that's being encouraged, and it's something that we are in in Aspie, We're monitoring. Um, we we are Rachel Cassidy is evaluating the effectiveness of that um, that scheme in terms of um, how those riparian zones are improving um, management. The challenge is getting farmers to to take you know, more than a two meter box strip, take a five meter box strip, or even take a ten meter box strip is extremely challenging, and for the right reasons, you know, it's, it's taking land out of production. Um, but getting them to take up buffer strips that are wide enough to make a real difference um, is um, is um, is difficult. However, the, there is good uptake of the two meter buffer strips, and that's keeping cattle out of streams, which is a very positive thing. Um, and you know, the, all the research has been done on that, and and you know, providing you know feeders off um, away from streams or drinking water troughs away from streams has been a key focus. Right. There's a question here, I suppose, more focused on, on Russell. Uh, 
Where is the greatest uncertainty in the modeling uh, prediction and how much validation is, is being undertaken to check that the SRP uh, predictions are, are correct? Well, to answer that question, the, um, the model has been developed primarily using data sets from the USA and there's five published studies in the USA that have validated the results using um, plot scale experiments. So similar to the experiments of Johnstown, Castle, Moorpark and in Athby Hills. So you've got, from those you've got a time series of runoff data during events, which would give you phosphorus concentration and flow. And then that's compared with what the model predicts. The model actually takes the flow as well. It doesn't predict flow itself. So the model will predict phosphorus concentration and that's compared against the observed concentration. And, and you can split that into two periods. So you could look at the calibration uh, period and the validation period. But, most of the parameters in the model are actually quasi-physically based, like soil properties, for example, so they're not calibrated as such. There's not a lot of calibration with surfaces. It, it primarily uses actual real-field data. But those papers are the farming system is obviously slightly different, but um, that's the best validation we have will be from that study. And also a study by um, Sharon, what's his surname? Sharon Rock. Yes, also using the data to run the model that um, in Northern Ireland. She's also published a paper showing the results are quite acceptable in terms of validation. There's a, there's a couple of questions around the use of the data that has been generated by the soil, um, uh, the soil test uh, survey that's been ta taken on board. Uh, one relates to the nuancing of P advice uh, in, in uh, um, uh, dry versus wet soils, and in particular, maybe versus uh, peat soils. Is there any degree of nuancing? And then there's a, another question uh, looking at the, the pH. Is there significant uh, focus on pH as a result of that soil analysis? Yeah, I, 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 uh, I actually don't understand the first question. Pat. First question, I suppose that we down south we have a, a different regula regulatory uh, um, set of, of levels of, of nutrient that you can use on peat soils because yeah. of the inherently uh, um, yeah. leaky nature of the soils from, from a peat perspective. So it, it was just asking, is that in place in the north? We are, I, I can't, to answer lose me at this moment in time, is the regulations around the peat soils. We are definitely trying to refine um, our, our, our peat advice on a range of different soils. And one of those would be our basaltic soils. I can't quite remember the advice on the, the peat soils, but I'll look into it um, and I'll come back to you on that. No, I, I, I can't help either. I know that yeah. some of the host classes we looked at have got humic um, topsoils, so the upper soil layers will be quite sensitive to any applications, but they don't cover a particularly large area of the. Yeah. Farm dairy, do the catchment? No. Okay. No, do the In terms of pH, yes, that's a big that's a big one for us, and that is through the soil nutrient health scheme that's being rolled out. pH will be something that we're trying to 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 address, and for all farmers, we'll be getting advice around and what they need need to do around pH. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose it it, it does release an extra amount of P if 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 you resolve the pH, which may add to the yeah. the, the problem a little bit. Yeah, uh, there's a, I don't know whether there's a question or a comment, uh, but there's a question there in relation to the, the kind of the fundamental nature of the high input systems in, in the north versus the, the more common systems in the south. And is that something that, that uh, could be looked at or is that 
is that above the pay grade at the moment? <laughs> so I just I suppose to clarify what you're asking is why we have a high input system compared to the south, or yeah. is this well, the high input or is there system? a merit in considering a, a, okay, a, a, yeah. a change? Well, it's, listen, that's a very complex question, and we all know that's a, that's a difficult one. There's environmental concerns um, uh, that, to be taken into account around the sort of system that we have. Um, however, there's also the economic and the, the social concerns that we have in relation to the, you know, the, the rural, the agriculture is an is a integral part of our rural um, environment. So, you know, we have jobs and, and so forth to consider. I do think, you know, there's a number of things that we are considering carefully is that, you know, firstly, that we haven't really provided farmers with the technology to manage that system as well as they can at this point. And, you know, I mentioned their high resolution data in relation to soil and water. They, we need to give that to them. And so before we make that decision, is, is the agriculture too intensive? And we need to provide them with that technology and that, uh, that information. Secondly, I think we need to look at, you know, we all know there's a huge variation in the relationship between the intensity of agriculture and its impact on, 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 on the environment. We need to understand that relationship better in terms of where we can increase intensity and where we may have to prioritize other ecosystem services um, in, in the future. So it's, it's a very complex um, uh, issue and it is being discussed as same as it is down south, it is being discussed, but um, it's not something that is, um, you know, it's something that's high up on the agenda to be, to, to be addressed, yes. Yeah, and I suppose a final comment, you talk about exports and there's a, just a comment in there that if exports really means export to the south because that's the only reasonable, <laughs> so something to, to be really careful about, there's 20% uh, of the, the, the egg of, of Northern Ireland uh, phosphorus being exported here would, 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 would require careful assistance. I think it's a for sure. Yeah. And that needs that needs uh, careful cross-border consideration. And if you're looking to future funding, uh, Peace Plus is one of the things that actually, that's one of the big uh, cornerstones of Peace Plus is you know, an operational framework for cross-border nutrient management. Um, because you don't want that situation also sending. Um, but we're also, in fairness, we're also looking at sending it across to, you know, all, you know when you say export, depends on the product um, that you, know, you ultimately come up with from your, your manure. It could be exported across the UK as well, because they have a high requirement for phosphorus in a lot of the UK. Okay, we must uh, leave it there, I'm afraid. We're right up on our time a little bit over, but um, I think it was worth the few extra minutes. Donica, thank you so much. And Russell, uh, thanks for, for your excellent contribution today. And Pat, thanks for helping with the questions. Um, so uh, just to remind everybody that uh, today's session is has been recorded and uh, will be available on the Chagas YouTube channel. Um, next week, we're going to be jo joined by Dr. Bob Rees uh, from SRUC in Scotland, who will be talking about the implications of net zero uh, for the uh, UK agriculture. So uh, net zero carbon, I imagine that, that means. Um, so uh, Bob Bob has a very, very interesting perspective and uh, on, on, on how I know from some, speaking to Bob before is a uh, really uh, interesting insights into how uh, the UK are heading towards uh, net uh, zero carbon. So I just want to say thanks to Yvonne Maher, who's working in the background to support the technical side today, and also Andy Boland, who's the series producer. Uh, so we'll see you next uh, Friday at 9.30. Uh, have a good weekend and stay safe. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagask.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. 
I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.